Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. This moment in scripture in the book of Judges begins much the same as it will each week during this message series as we look at at a single judge from this moment because there's this reoccurring theme throughout the book of Judges. The Israelites find themselves in a moment where they have done evil in God's eyes. They have turned away from their faith in him. And so they fall because they've turned away from God. God allows them to fall under the rule of other nations around them. In this particular case, it is the people of Moab, the Moabites. And we find them in this moment where Israel is under persecution, under the rule of others. And so in this moment, they now remember God and they call out to God for him to to send them some form of help. And so because of God's love, his grace and mercy, he sends a deliverer. He sends a judge to lead them in this time of trouble. In this case, we find God sending a person named Ehud. Now this morning, we're going to look at Ehud's story and who Ehud is. And you can follow along if you want to in the book of Judges, chapter 3, verses 12 to 30. I'm not going to read from that. As I've looked at commentaries and other things and done research, I've filled out his story a little bit that you'll have this morning. But think about Ehud for just a second. If you're thinking about someone, you're thinking about a name, and, and you're in a tough spot and you're like, God, send me a deliverer. Send me someone who's going to free me. And you want someone who, who they're going to bring confidence in that, right? They're going to like, you're going to be like, oh yeah, this is a person who's going to help me out. Ehud is probably not that person, right? And actually in real life, his name probably represents him well because he's probably not that person. But Ehud, do you call out to God for someone named Ehud? I don't. I don't know that that's what I'm looking for. I mean, our world, our culture right now, we're fantastic at at creating these heroes, at creating these people who are going to be our rescuers, our, our saviors, right? And so if I'm calling out to God for some help, I'm looking for someone named Rambo. I'm looking for possibly a Rocky. I'm looking for the Terminator, Conan. I'm looking for James Bond. James Bond could save me, right? If I'm in a tough situation, James Bond could save the day. Han Solo. Han Solo could save me, right? Even better, Luke Skywalker. Skywalker. I mean, that just, yes, that is someone who could save me. If I'm looking for a rescuer, that is the person. The next one's a real good one. It's actually from John Wayne in True Grit. I've never seen that movie. Maybe that's blasphemous to you. That's okay. Get over that. I've never seen True Grit, but his character, I did this research, his character's name was Rooster Cogburn. Rooster Cogburn. Yes, I could be saved by a rooster, right? I could be saved by a rooster Cogburn. That could happen. The best one, the best one is actually someone who's not a character, at least not really a character. It's actually a true person. If I am in trouble, I want you to pray to God to send Chuck Norris. Am I right? Yes. Chuck Norris. Yes, absolutely. Like Chuck Norris, that is just, that name just says like, that person's going to rescue me. That person is going to rescue me. God sends Ehud. 
I did a little research into his name, E-H-U-D. You can say it Ehud, Ehud, kind of however you want to pronounce it. It's okay. Different people look at it differently. And, and I'm sorry if your name is Ehud um, or any of your children are. I've offended you probably because you're like, no, Ehud is up there with Rocky. Yeah, it's not. Sorry, it's not. And, and as I researched that name, yeah, it wasn't a name that like inspired like, yes, this is a rescuer. But that is who God sent. And it makes sense because what do we know about God? More often than not, God doesn't send the likely hero. He sends the unlikely hero. God sends, tends to use the person who's not perfect, who's not the clear-cut superhero, to save the day. God uses people not like that we read about in storybooks usually. He uses people like me and like you, like each and every one of us, to save the day. Why? Because in the end, it's not really about us saving the day, is it? It's about him saving the day. And it's a wonderful reminder that if we place our faith in God, each and every single one of us can be that hero. We can be that hero. Ehud is who God chose to be that hero. Our guess is that no one looked at Ehud and said, this is a hero, this is a warrior, this is a leader. When we're introduced to Ehud in the Bible, it says that he is a left-handed man from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin literally means son of my right hand. So we've got this guy from the tribe that is the son of my right hand who is left-handed. He is left-handed. And actually, as we look at that, and I kind of snicker at that, the truth is actually not as, as funny as that. It's actually kind of sad. The true Hebrew translation is that, that his right hand the true translation is, is that his right hand was restricted, that his right hand was disabled. And so he's left-handed because he is disabled in his right hand. And so we have Ehud, left-handed, disabled Ehud. He is God's deliverer. This moment begins because Ehud is selected to take tribute with some other Israelites, basically as an offering or a tax, this tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab. He's taking this tribute to Moab and their ruler because they are they are over the Israelites. And so they take this tribute, this tax, this group of goods and supplies and things like that to the Moabites as they're offering their tribute, their tax. In that day and age, Ehud is very likely looked upon as being broken and flawed. I, I actually wonder if he wasn't selected to take this tribute, to do this job, because he was the guy kind of on the, the bottom rung of the ladder, right? As they, as they looked around, this is the guy who, who raided in the very least. Who's going to take this? Who's going to, who's going to do this job that's mundane and kind of embarrassing all in one shot? Who's going to do that? Oh yeah, let's send Ehud. Send Ehud. He's broken. He's got nothing better to do. He doesn't matter. Send Ehud. It's always amazing to see how God kinds of works in these moments, right? Because it's that person who, who everybody else probably looked over who thought, oh, just send this guy. He, he's the forgotten guy. Send him. And that fell exactly in God's plans because Ehud, Ehud had, had a plan for his life from God. Ehud was selected. Ehud was God's wonderful and fantastic creation. And he's a wonderful representative for each and every one of us. Because I imagine many of us, 
when we look in a mirror, a physical mirror or that proverbial mirror, and we look back at ourselves, so often we see someone who I imagine is how everyone saw Ehud. Maybe even at times he saw himself, someone who was broken, someone who was flawed, someone who at times thought, I am worthless. When we think about our identity, about who we are, about what defines us, it is so easy to allow those things, to allow this to become our definition. It is easy to allow our brokenness, our flaws, be they physical, spiritual, emotional, relational, whatever, or you fill in the blank, to allow those things to define us. I don't know about you, but I know in myself there can be this draw or this push, however you want to think about it, that when things aren't going right, when moments aren't perfect, when there has been a mistake or when I'm just off, there is this draw to magnify my imperfections. Life builds on us this way, doesn't it? I find that if, if our church weekend as a pastor, I find that if our church weekend doesn't seem to go quite right, if it doesn't go well, if it, if it falls kind of flat on my mind, it, that just stays with me and there is this push, this draw, whatever you want to call it, that just says I'm not enough, that I've failed, that I am weak. And it is so easy to let that spread then from there to the rest of my life. That little push that says, I'm a poor husband. I'm a bad father. I'm a waste of a person. And there is that push on my heart and on my identity. It tells me that I'm not enough, that I'm broken, that I am flawed. All that is wrong in me seems to come to the surface. And all that is broken stands out. And worst of all, my identity is in question. It is placed in everything that is wrong. I don't know about you, but I know that I fight that battle all the time. I fight that push, that draw. I fight it all the time. But remember for me and for you and for Ehud and for every person, we are a part of God's creation. And this is not where our identity is found. These things, our flaws, our failures, our weakness, these things do not define us. Ehud goes with the delivery of this tribute to, to Eglon, king of the Moabites, king of Moab. And there, there are others with him. The tribute is probably all kinds of goods and supplies. And so it takes a team to make this happen. Now, a little heads up as we continue in this moment in history. The Old Testament is sometimes kind of blunt with how it portrays things. It is at times very straightforward. It is, it is not really cult culturally sensitive, we'll say. It's not very sensitive to us at all. And so there are times where it's very straightforward. So just let's try not to be offended by what we find in this story, especially if you're following along in Scripture. You might notice that I'm, I am painting it just a little bit lighter than maybe it is painted in Scripture, and that is, that is okay. Remember the time that this was written and what it's from. Let's not be offended by things. But so these, these Israelites, they arrive with this tribute and they go to meet the king, King Eglog, and he is described in very unflattering terms. We'll say that he is a very large man. They even later in scripture referred to his excessive use of the bathroom. And you can kind of imagine that just whole situation. Maybe you're getting a picture of this man. This is a king who is spoiled on food and vanity and, and just having everything he ever wants. And, and so that's the person that we're looking at. And it probably makes sense. 
Now this tribute is delivered, and the team, Ehud and all, they turn and begin their return journey. So it's delivered, and they turn around to go home. But on the return journey, Ehud passes some stone images near a place called Gilgal. We don't know exactly what he sees there. We have some ideas. Maybe this was all a part of his plan from the beginning. So maybe he doesn't see anything specific at all. He's just reached a certain point where it snaps and he says, my plan is ready, and he turns and he returns to the king. There's a chance in his journey as he passes this place called Gilgal. This is a place in history where Joshua had set up 12 stones as a reminder of God's faithfulness, his power, his provision. And so maybe he saw that and he was reminded of all that God can do through someone and the snap clicked. There's a chance he passes this spot and, and as it talks about these stone images, that there's a chance these stone images were false gods made by the people of Moab. And, and so he passed this, this area where, where they were worshiping these false gods and, and that kind of just irritated him towards, towards God being offended or how they would do this. And so again, something clicks. Maybe even possibly there's some thought that these stone images are actually stone quarries. And so he passes by where maybe Israelites are, are working and straining in these stone quarries, not for their own good, but for the people of Moab as they're being held under control. And he, he sees his people in injustice. And again, something snaps. He could have seen a lot of things. Maybe he saw nothing. But something stirred inside him. He realized that this was not a time for excuses. He recognized that, that he had a lot of reasons to have excuses. He had a lot of, of brokenness and flaws that he could dwell on, but this was not a time to think of excuses. This was a time to remember what God could do. And so Ehud left the other Israelites, and he turned around, and he went back to the king of Moab. Ehud probably had a lot of reasons why he shouldn't do anything in this situation. He probably had a lot of excuses, right? And we can use the word reasons or excuses kind of interchangeably. It's just a nicer way of looking at it, right? Reasons is just excuses. It doesn't sound as bad, right? So he had a lot of reasons or excuses why he wouldn't do anything in this situation. Let's be honest. Most of us, we have many, many reasons, excuses, why we don't step out in this world. Why don't we don't believe what God could do in our lives? Why we don't step out for God, for others, for the love of our lives, for the opportunities around us? We have many reasons, excuses why we let life slip by us. The excuses, those reasons, they are many. They are so, so many. This is one of the reasons why I think we hold on to our flaws, to our failures, to our brokenness as a part of our identity because when we hold on to those things, they give us excuses, right? I act this way because it's just the way that I am. I act this way because it's the way I was raised. It's my personality. It's who I was brought up to be. It's, it's a part of me. It's, it's, it's me. It's my flaw. I say these things to people. I, I, I say hurtful things to people because it's, it's my personality. It's the way I was raised. It's what I was born into. It's, it's all that I know. I can't do much, I can't do more, I won't be much because I'm, I'm broken, I'm a failure, I am flawed. We recognize this, if your identity is found in your weaknesses, your failures, if it's found in your mistakes, your separations, your flaws, you will always have an excuse for why you don't accomplish something great or even something good. Are we just making excuses for our lives because of where we have found 
our identity in because of these flaws and failures in our lives. We say it is, it's who I am, it's, it's how I was raised, it's where I was born, it's what happened to me, it's how I look, it's, it's what I can do. You fill in the blank. We hear this all the time, don't we? We've heard this about our church at times and our history. We've, we've heard this about our town and community here in North Collins and beyond. And we hear this from so many people, we probably hear it from ourselves. We are this way, we live this way, things are this way because you fill in the blank. The past, the failures, the fears, the flaws, the brokenness, things that have been done to us, we've done to ourselves, or we were just born with in this fallen world. This week, I I read a story about U.S. soccer goalie Tim Howard, who just recently retired. And if you don't follow United States soccer or soccer as a whole, that name probably means nothing to you. But in terms of United States soccer, there are maybe three or four really big names that are, are just huge, and he is one of those names. He has been our goalie, a fantastic goalie for the longest and longest of times. He is famous for in the World Cup and in, in, in not too long ago in Brazil of, of being in one game in that World Cup making 16 saves in our goal where he actually got a call after the game from the President of the United States thanking him for defending our nation. That is this guy and he has played for some of the biggest clubs in the world, not just in the MLS, which is in America. That's okay. He's played for teams in England, Everton, Manchester United, probably the biggest club in the entire world. This is an American who played at this level as a goalie. And I knew over the course of his career that he had some tough moments that he had to overcome, but in this article, I found out just exactly how much he had to overcome. It was so much more than I ever knew. I found out that he spent his time being this incredible soccer player, and these moments included living with obsessive compulsive disorder and Tourette's syndrome, all the while being a soccer goalie at the highest of level. And I can only imagine being that person in goal where you have to be prepared to respond in that one critical moment to save the day, to be that person, all the while dealing with obsessive compulsive disorder and Tourette's syndrome, being that person. I can only imagine the excuses that he could have made for his life. And they are relevant, they are real, they are true, they are believable. We would all, it's not even, that's where it's not even excuses, right? It's reasons, it makes sense. Those aren't excuses, that is real, it is true. He had reasons. But we recognize, right, that we all have reasons as well. It's so true to us. We all have reasons as well. So maybe your year, your life, Maybe this moment has been disappointing. Maybe life has handed you reasons. It's handed you excuses. That doesn't define you. I want you to hear and understand that that doesn't define you. It isn't your identity. Real faith in what God can do in your life doesn't allow disappointment, failure, and flaws to stop us. Faith in God, faith in who God made us to be, pushes, fights, claws, through those walls of reasons and excuses. I encourage you not to let those things hold you back. I encourage us as a church and a community not to let those things to hold us back. Does your faith tell you that something good can happen in your life? It can. God has a plan for you, and your future can be bright. Fight on for yourself 
for your family, for all of us, fight on. Our identity is not found in our flaws, in our weakness, in our past, or in our failures. Yours isn't, mine isn't, ours isn't. Ahud's wasn't. Fight on. Ahud turned, Ahud turned and he went back to face this king of Moab, Eglon. And as he entered the king's presence, he said to the king and all the attendants there, he says, I have a secret message for you, king. And the king was interested in knowing Ahud passed through this kind of famous religious possible area or for some reason, he thought maybe this message could be God. Maybe it's something important. Maybe it's from God. Maybe it's special for me. And so he was intrigued. And so the king looked over Ahab and he obviously saw a guy who didn't appear very dangerous. He saw someone who he thought, well, this is someone who's disabled. He doesn't appear to be armed in any normal way. He doesn't appear to be a threat at all. What could this guy do to me? Right, classically judging this book by its cover. Very classically. So in his greed, in his distrusting and somewhat disturbing nature, the king asks all of his attendants to leave and he takes Ahud into this special secret porch area. And Ahud approaches the king stating that he had a message from God and perhaps he did. What you may not know about the people of the tribe of Benjamin in Israel is while they are called the son of the right hand, many are actually famously proficient with their left hand. In fact, Ahud was brought up in the, just the specific right tribe where many people worked specifically on their left hand and Ahud had the opportunity to be one of them. Ahud had fashioned a long knife with a double edge, which he had strapped to his right thigh under clothing where no one would see, and as normal people go armored, no one would suspect. Hidden easily, but also easily accessible to someone who was proficient with their left hand. Ahud would not be defined by his flaws. He would not be defined by his handicap. Ahud made no excuses for how God could or would use him and what would and could come from his life. Ahud had faith. He believed. And that day, he won his people their freedom from an evil king. Now, this story isn't over, and and you can probably guess what happens in this moment. You're welcome to check it out in Scripture. You're going to find a very interesting story as this plays out. In a rather gruesome way, Ahud's knife disappears and the evil king is dead. Ahud escapes, and some translate his escape from leaving and sneaking off of this porch. Others translate his leaving actually through a latrine, which means quite possibly he escaped through a toilet where no one saw, and he escaped to find his freedom. You can't make up these awesome stories, right? But this sounds like an amazing movie now, right, doesn't it? He escapes, and he goes out into the wilderness, and he finds a trumpet, and he blasts that trumpet horn across the hills of Israel, and he calls their people together. And he leads them to freedom. And he leads his people, as scripture tells us, actually to 80 years of peace. How? How does something like that happen? It happens because God turned Ahud's disability into a possibility. 
How? It happens because God used an imperfect person who found his identity not in his own failures, but in his God who created him wonderfully and fearfully. How? Because Ehud refused to define himself, identify himself in his flaws, but in the truth of who God made him to be. Ehud knew this truth so wonderfully put into words by King David in Psalm 139, 13-15. He said, For you, God, formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Here are some things that we know. Here are some things that we know. We know we live in a fallen world, and yes, our bodies are not perfect, our decisions are not always ideal, and our paths are more often than not regrettable. We may at times feel broken and flawed, but none of that defines us. None of that is the definition of who we are. God did not make a mistake with any of us. God did not make a mistake with you. God did not make a mistake with you. Our futures and our identities are, if anything, not restricted by these failures and these mistakes. They are actually heightened and empowered and made more wonderful because of what God can do in and through and by them. What do we recognize from Ehud and from God about what doesn't define us? These are things that do not define you. Your body, your reflection in a mirror, your shape, your race, your place of birth, your physical conditions, your bank account, your status, your positions in this world, your past, your mistakes, your broken relationships, your failures at home, your failures at church, and your failures at work, none of that defines you. Here's what we know truly does and can define us. We are God's wonderful creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. While our flaws exist here on earth, God neither judges us by them or is limited by them. God uses imperfect people who seek to find their identity in him and in being his creation. Our identity was never meant to be about what we can do, about what we see or how we are seen, or about what we can achieve. It has always been about what God can do, how God sees us, and how he has and will continually and forever achieve and bring about in our lives. We have no excuses. We are God's fearfully and wonderfully made creation. We are God's fearfully and wonderfully made creation. So as we close, I encourage you in this. I encourage each and every one of us to be careful. May we be on our guard against the wrong kinds of identities in this world. Our world wants to label us and identify us on looks, on accomplishments, and so much more. Don't allow the world to be your measuring stick for your life, for your definition, for your identity. These become diseases to our identity and they tend to stick with us. And so I encourage you 
to guard yourself. Parents, I want to be, I want to encourage you to be careful how you talk around your children. Not just how you talk to them, but how you talk around them. Because these things tend to stick with them and their identity as they grow. Guard their hearts and what fills their thoughts and expectations and ratings and value of themselves. Guard and protect your children. Here lies probably the greatest danger of social media for our children and for ourselves is how social media continually fills us with what is supposed to bring us value, what is supposed to bring us our identity and our purpose. Parents know you have continually, continually, continually the permission to take cell phones and iPads and all those things and throw them out of moving cars, all right, to get rid of them if they need to. You have that permission. If it's for your children or if it's for your own heart, protect it and guard it. Here also lies the danger in surrounding ourselves with judgmental people. May we all recognize that and be careful who speaks into our and our loved ones' lives. Remember, we have to be careful to protect our identity and what we allow to rate and value us. And further, here lies the danger, I believe, in churches. As we feel the need to put, a certain, to put on a certain face at church because of the judgment that we may feel that we will face. I hope you never feel and experience that here, but I know how we are as Christians sometimes, and we have this need to put on a face that everything is just perfect and smiles and raspberries and butterflies, and we are this perfect spiritual being and perfect person. We often ask ourselves, will we be enough for the world? Will I look good enough? Will I accomplish enough? Will I be spiritual enough? Will I work hard enough? None of that is your identity. All of that will leave you feeling like you're not enough. Any of that will have you looking for excuses. And just a little of that could stifle what God can do in your life unless you find your identity in him. This is the first of our judges. And as we look at these judges and we've looked at Ahud, we are reminded of where our identity isn't found and hopefully encouraged in finding our identity in God Identity is the center of us. It's our core. It's what defines us. It's what our purpose is. It's what we, we, we draw our being from. We in this world, we try to fill that with different things. Ahud reminds us that we can't allow it to be our failures, our faults, our bad moments, our troubled past, our weaknesses, and our flaws. At our core, in our identity, we are God's wonderful creation. May we believe that, and may that motivate the lives that we live. As I've studied and researched for this message and, and prayed over this message and had this opportunity to just dwell on this thought about our identity, I was continually drawn back to the thought that and the fear that so many of us in this world, when it comes to our identity and, and we, we dwell on so many things and we are we're held back on so many things that, that are our mistakes, that are our weaknesses, that are those things that, that someone else has said to us or done to us that, that make us feel like we aren't enough. And I was continually impressed that so many of us are being held back by those things. First, I want you to know that you are not alone. You are in a room of people who feel the same and have had those experiences. I know in my own personal walk as a pastor, 
the first six, seven, eight times I had the opportunity to preach, I would go into the bathroom and I would empty my stomach. And that little voice would say into my head, you've got nothing of value. No one wants to hear you. You are not good at this. This is not going to work. This is not you. We all have those voices, don't we? That little reminder that something about us is not enough. That is not my identity. It is not your identity. I can't always say what people have said to you in this world, and I know that probably chances are people have said hurtful things to you from your family members to your friends to just random people in this world who need to find a different life somewhere else, but it happens, right? It happens. My first job as a pastor I started a church for four years, and at that church, there actually came to this moment where the lead pastor of that church and the lead pastor of another church kind of worked to trade, and they actually traded me from one church to another. And it's a little bit more complicated than that, but that's basically what happened. It was a little bit out of my control, leaving that church and going to work at another one. But in that process, a board member from the church that I was leaving came into our house, into our kitchen with Julie and myself, and probably not knowing all the details of that, just being hurt because we were leaving, proceeded to tear us up from top to ba- bottom and tell us everything about us that was wrong and every reason why we would not succeed. And those words, still in this moment, I can feel them. Even if I can't remember the words, I can feel that feeling of being torn apart. And the weeks and months that I had to go through convincing myself that I am enough and that they are wrong. I don't know what people have said to you in your life, but this is what I do know. That is not who you are. That is not the definition of your life. That is not your identity. You are God's creation, fearfully and wonderfully made. Let that rule your heart. Let that rule your life. The possibilities for your future are endless believe in God and in what he can do. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, God above, God, I ask that you would just allow each and every one of us, God, to recognize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God, we are fearfully made. We are made so wonderfully, God, that the world should be afraid that we have been made that well. We are wonderful by your standards of creation, God. We have been made wonderful. Let that be the truth of our heart. God, I know that there are failures in this world that we've made. I know that there are things that have happened to us because we live in a fallen world, things about our bodies and our minds and our hearts that are beyond our control. God, I know that there have been things that have been said to us, hurtful things that that others have maybe said to us purposefully in passing, or maybe we've even said them to ourselves. God, those things, they can control us. They can stop what you can do. But God, we know that in you, they can be made irrelevant to our lives. But even more than that, God, those things can be used to make our story, our purpose, our plan even greater. Help us to recognize, God, that they are not our identity. They do not define us. But our creation in you, that does. God, may we live out lives as your wonderful and fearfully made creation. May that fill our lives and our potentials and our beliefs for ourselves and our future. Bless us now, God. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with us as we close in worship this morning?